grace that gives us hope. And boy, is that ever needed today. We'll talk about it next on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your love. Law works fear and wrath. Grace works hope and mercy. So said Martin Luther. And in many places, the Bible affirms that we're not only saved by grace, but changed by it. We'll take you to one such place today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We've been making our way through the book of Titus, and we pick up today in chapter 2, where we discover the work of grace in the life of the believer. It gives us real hope and it also teaches us something. Beginning in verse 12, by describing what grace is and what it does, here's Pastor Ed. Grace is a teacher, pedagogos, the Greek word. It teaches us, grace wants to teach us something. Paul says it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So it educates, it instructs us, Jesus was the grace of God. So this is talking about receiving Jesus. Of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, it says in John chapter 1, verse 16. The grace of God teaches us to say no. Don't flip on me here. This is not saying you just need to try harder. What this is saying is you must be saved for this to happen. The grace of God, when received, changes us from the inside. What? He changes our want to. God changes our motivation, our desires, our goals in life. It's called the new covenant. We've talked about this before. It's a very important concept that is not very often described in the churches that I have been in and listened to. So when you came, and I pray you did, came to the communion table, and you took that little cup with barely enough grape juice to taste, but when you took that, it harkened back, it looked back all the way to the night when Jesus took a cup with grape juice in it, and he said to his disciples, this is my blood of a new covenant. Very important statement. Jesus said, A few hours later, when he died, when he shed his blood, a new covenant took place. Well, what is the new covenant? Well, he already taught that you can't put new wine in old wineskins. You can't put the new law of love in the old commandments. You can't take a new piece of cloth and sew it on an old one because it'll shrink and pull away. You cannot keep both in your life, old covenant and new covenant. Now, I'm taking the time to break this down because we live in an area where many people grew up in churches in this area taught to keep the law. These verses we're looking at this morning comes directly against that. The new covenant is described in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. God, way beforehand, hundreds of years before, said this is the new covenant. I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm a heart surgeon, God says. 
and I'm taking out your sclera, your hardened heart, and I'm putting in a heart of flesh, a fresh one that's sensitive, that feels, that feels other people's pain and gives away the love of God. You get a new heart, number one. God says he does that. You don't do it. I don't do it. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will take out your heart of stone. I will put my spirit within you. What? God says when we surrender, he will put his Holy Spirit in us. We can't do that. We don't know how to do that. We don't have the power to do that. God says, I will do it. Third thing he says, I will. Fourth thing he says, I will write on your heart my law of love. Love God with your whole what? With your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. God says, I'll put in your heart, the new heart I gave you, this wonderful blessing of my presence in your life, my spirit in you. And I'll write my law of love on your heart. And fifth, I will, I will cause you to walk in my ways. Now, listen, that's the good news. The good news is if we keep surrendering to God and receiving his grace, he changes our desires. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what a dirty, rotten wretch I am. I can get close, okay, because I have to live with me. But God is changing me. God is changing you. Most of you in this room understand this. I'm really speaking to those who have not surrendered their life yet. It's not about just going to be a good person. I've tried that. It doesn't work. But what does work is, God, I give up. He says, it's about time. Now I can change you. You see, when we're trying to help God, it doesn't. It works against us. So this is a covenant not based upon performance. It's based upon what he does in us. So that none of us can say, wow, what a great catch I am for God. So we won't become Pharisees that Jesus had to deal with. Those people that thought they were so religious and they really were just good at hiding. Better hypocrites than most people. So teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live so we say no to ungodly things and we say yes to godly things. Live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Soberly. The word means sensible, mentally stable, means reasonable. God said, come now, let us reason together, you and I. God says, I've got something very reasonable, logical, rational. Your sins, they're scarlet, they're red, but I'll make them white as snow if you'll surrender to me. It's logical, it's reasonable, it's something that God's saying, come on, walk through this, that we should live soberly, mentally stable, reasonable, and righteously, that in practical Christianity, it refers to being purified. The most common use of this word has to do with something that's tested like gold or silver by a silversmith or a goldsmith. And you know the pictures of a crucible that the ore is put in and it's heated up. And when it, all the dross, the non-gold or silver, whatever it is you're trying to pull off, it flows to the surface. The heat drives it up, buoyant. The goldsmith wipes it away and then heats it up again. And then he wipes all the junk away and he heats it up again. That's you on the freeway, that when all that stuff starts coming up, <laughs> God says, let me wipe that away for you. We'll start again. So, righteously and godly. What would Jesus do? 
God gives us the desire, the want to, to do these things. How we should live, governed by the Spirit of God. God changing us from the inside out, and He gets the credit for it because He changes us to do the right thing. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope in the future is the point. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a lot in this verse, too. First of all, it's looking for. It's to be our attitude. We are to be excited about Jesus coming. I know a lot of people who are older Christians uh, say to me something like, I've heard about the rapture all my life, and I don't think it's coming. Okay. (laughs) Jesus said it's going to, though. And second question, have you read the paper? So Jesus is coming. I don't know when. Some guy wrote that he's coming in September this year, and I'm upset at him because now Jesus can't come on that day because Jesus said nobody knows the day or the hour, and he ruined a perfectly good day for Jesus to come. It's not going to happen. Another great day wasted. But we're supposed to be excited about his coming. What's his coming? Blessed hope and glorious appearing. Blessed hope. Epius Marconius in the Greek, and it means that something that's blessed is something that's beautiful, that is wonderful to behold, that it's balanced, it's correct. You instantly know it's the right thing. And hope, we've looked at many times. The biblical word for hope is different than the English word for hope. The biblical word appears 77 times in the New Testament, and it always means an expectation, an anticipation, an assurance of something good that's coming. So, Jesus is the Blessed assurance. That song, that old hymn, written by a lady named Fanny Crosby, the most prolific American hymn writer of all time. About six weeks old, she was blind, but she's a wordsmith, just a very talented writer. And she wrote more than 8,000 hymns. She died at 95, and she wrote two hymns during that year that were famous. Her most famous hymn, though, was based on this verse. That's why I'm telling you this story. So she went to visit a friend who was kind of her compadre in writing songs. She was a piano player. She was very gifted at melodies, but couldn't come up with a single word. And so when she visited her one day, she said, "Uh, I received this melody line from God. I know it's God, but I can't understand what it means. She said, So, what does this tune say to you? And uh, so she played it for her, and she said, Fanny Crosby got down on her knees and prayed for a couple of minutes. Then she got up and she said, do you have a pen and paper? And the lady said, well, sure. She said, well, get ready. And so she was, and she spoke the words to the song exactly as people sing it today. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste. And on and on. So, Blessed assurance or blessed hope is Jesus Christ and His coming. You can count on it. It's the return of God, and you and I are to look forward to it. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, who's expounding on our blessed hope. Now with more on this glorious appearing of our Savior, described in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, once again... Here's Pastor Ed. Glorious, in the Greek is actually flipped, appearing gloriously. In other words, showing up, displaying himself. The word glory 
means weight. It means the whole banana. It means everything that there is about God. When you and I see him, we'll go, wow, you will be amazed. I will be amazed at who God is. Last time, he came as a humble servant, you know, on the donkey. He's got a crown of thorns. Next time, king of kings, it says across his vesture, and the Lord of lords. The all-powerful, spectacular, you run out of words, God of gods. God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is a, a, a verse we could, spend, could have spent all morning on, too. Uh, notice that this verse clearly says Jesus is God. I know some of you still struggle with that concept, or maybe you have friends that do. There's no way to manipulate this verse to say anything other than what it does. The appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is both God and Savior. That's what this says. No place in Scripture does God the Father say He is going to appear. The only person who's going to appear is God the Son, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you have a background in a cult that didn't believe Jesus was God, deal with this verse. You know, take some time with it. Take it apart. It is a clear reference to the deity of Jesus Christ. 14, who gave himself for us. Here's another big verse, sweeping verse. Gave himself, capital H. God himself came to earth. The creator of the universe, John says, the, the word became flesh. Jesus was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here it is. He gave himself. God came, and he walked around with people. Again, I hope you went to the communion table. There's so many places in Scripture, in the Gospels, that Jesus sat down at meals. I'm glad that my God loves food as much as I do. But he, he sits down at a table, and they criticize him for eating with tax collectors and, and prostitutes. And Simon the Pharisee is having a meal with him. Jesus has a last supper with his disciples. He, he sits down with Mary and Martha. So God himself came to earth and did very normal, natural things, which blew everybody's mind because they didn't get who he was. Why did he come? To redeem. This is a great word redeem, lotros in the Greek language. There's three words for a slave. That's what this term means. It means a person who is held captive, and a ransom is paid for them who were slaves. There's three Greek words. This one is the one for a slave. This, you can just buy a slave, and, and that's one word. You can purchase a slave. To use them as a slave, as a repugnant as that is, there's a Greek word for that. But this one is to set someone free who has been held captive. You and I were captive. We were captive to our sins. We were shackled. Jesus said he came to set the prisoners free. That's the good news. So, ransom. Ransom. The concept goes all the way back. I just want you to see this is consistent with Scripture. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, there was a ransom paid. You remember Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, and uh, they eat of the forbidden tree, and, and all of a sudden they recognize that they're naked. They were uncovered. They were unatoned for. Their sins were not covered. Now they're guilty, and they can see it. They've been around God who was all light, and all of a sudden He's gone from their hearts, and they can see. And so they go and they get fig leaves, right? Adam gets a fig leaf. Eve gets a fig leaf. They try to cover themselves. And so then it says that he went, verse 
21, God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, his wife, and clothed them. God provided the covering. What? God provided the kofar, the Hebrew word kofar. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement, the day of covering. That's the same picture back in Genesis. And as you work your way through the Bible, Old Testament and into the New Testament, this idea of redemption is over and over again displayed, this atoning for sins, to be fully clothed. The animal's life forfeited, right? Until Jesus came and paid the whole price. So that we are redeemed from lawless deeds, from being shackled to sins, purified for God. He's in the process of doing that, sanctifying, setting you aside right now because you're hearing God's word, something's happening. Well, pastor, I don't feel it. It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with feelings. It has everything to do with God promising that faith comes by hearing. You're receiving faith right now. Purify for himself his own special. Love the old King James peculiar people. Some of us are more peculiar than others. But no, what this really means is that you should stand out, that you're different than the world. Too many Christians trying to look like other people in the world. Oh, I gotta fit in. No, you're not going to if you're really a believer. God's called you to be different so that you would display him to the world. And that doesn't mean acting like a Pharisee and putting on, you know, holier-than-thou sort of statements and float above the floor and have a little halo on your head and speaking King James English. No, 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 please don't do that. There's enough people that do that. God wants us to be naturally supernatural. Think about God. Speak to people about God. Act as the special people that you are. Zealous to do good things. You were saved for good works. You don't get saved by doing good works, but the result is, in my life and in yours, when we're doing the thing God wants us to do, it's very rewarding, very significant. We know we are where we're supposed to be. Last verse, verse 15. Speak these things. He's speaking to Titus, but he's also speaking to you, believer, to speak out these things. Exhort, it means to encourage other people. Rebuke means to correct doesn't mean you be offensive. It means when you hear someone saying something that's not scriptural, you try and correct them in a loving way with all authority, knowing that when you're quoting God's Word, you have the authority you need. Let no one despise you for any just reason. In other words, there are people that might despise you, but don't give them a reason. In other words, if they just decide they don't like you, that's not your problem. But uh, let none have any just cause to despise you. Okay, people don't drift to doing right unless grace is active in their life. Peter said, grow in grace. The reality is, if you'll surrender to God, God will change you to become what he's always wanted you to be. But it requires your surrender. Some of us are a little slow in getting that. Some of us took a really long time to come to Jesus. I feel for you if you're in that position that you're an older person and you're struggling, well, can I change? No, you can't, but God can change you. So let me give you an example of that. Years ago, studying in Switzerland, one of the professors that came and taught, Paul Tournier, some of you are old enough to remember that name, is a famous writer and medical doctor and a brilliantly funny man, but he loved the Lord. And at the end of his session, he told this story. We'll end with this. He said it was a true story about a surgeon that he knew personally in Switzerland, in Geneva. The surgeon sat beside the boy's bed. 
The boy's parents sat across from him. Tomorrow morning, the surgeon started, I'll open up your heart. You'll find Jesus there, the little boy said. The surgeon looked up a little annoyed. I'll cut your heart open, he continued, to see how much damage has been done. But when you open my heart, you'll find Jesus there, the little boy said again. The surgeon looked over at his parents, who just sat quietly. When I see how much damage has been done, I'll plan what to do next. But you'll find Jesus in my heart. The Bible says he lives there. You'll find him in my heart, the little boy said. The surgeon is frustrated now. He says, I'll tell you what I'll find in your heart. I'll find damaged muscle, low blood supply, weakened vessels, and I'll find out if I can make you well. You'll find Jesus there too, he said again. He lives there. The surgeon left. The next morning, the surgeon sat in his office recording his notes for transcription after the surgery. Autosomal dominant genetic disorder, Marfan syndrome with multiple aortic aneurysms, aortic dissection, deteriorating pulmonary vein, widespread four valve cardiac degeneration, advanced pericarditis, prognosis unlikely, transplant success, death within six months. He stopped the recorder, but there was more to be said. Why? He said out loud in his office by himself. Why did you do this? You put him here on this earth, you put him in this pain, and you cursed him to an early death. Why? Silence for a moment. And then God graciously answered and said, the boy, my lamb, was not meant for your flock for long, for he is part of my flock and will forever be here in my flock. He will feel no pain, and he will be comforted as you cannot imagine. His parents will one day join him here, and they will know peace, and my flock will continue to grow. The surgeon's tears were hot, but his anger was hotter. You created that boy, and you created that heart that way. He'll be dead in months. Why? The Lord answered graciously again. The boy, my lamb, shall return to my flock, for he has done his duty. I did not put my lamb with your flock to lose him, but to retrieve another lost lamb, you. The surgeon wept. The surgeon sat beside the boy's bed. The boy's parents sat across from him. The little boy awoke and whispered, Did you cut open my heart? Yes, said the surgeon. And what did you find? asked the boy. I found Jesus there, said the surgeon. And he had found grace that brings salvation. A touching story Pastor Ed Ray concludes with on today's Grow in Grace, and it begs the question, is Jesus in your heart? If not, receive the grace that brings salvation today. You won't regret it. Did you miss a portion of the message, or was there a part you wanted to hear again? Just go online to thepackinghouse.org for a replay 
We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. That's thepackinghouse.org or listen to us on Apple Podcasts. One more option is to call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. Our prayer is that you'll grow in grace as you study along with us. And if that's happening in your life, please do write us. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. This program is brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship and online at packinghouse.org. Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone, faith, hope, love, and harmony.